This episode is brought to you in partnership with Magic Madhouse. For all your needs of Magic the Gathering, Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, World of Warcraft, Cardfight Bangwords, repacks, accessories, anything to do with your collectible or trade card games needs, please visit magicmadhouse.co.uk. Free UK delivery on orders over £20 and if you enter the code GMS10 on your first order, you will get a 10% discount. Mind you, not on special offers, but anything else, do enjoy that discount. Thank you for your support. Hello, friends. Welcome. Welcome back to the important interview with And yes, it's time we have another Kickstarter project that I want to talk about. I am Paco Garcia, your host, as usual. I haven't changed. Not a bit since the last podcast. And I have with me today in in the um, Skyposphere, I have the owner of a company that I've been following quite close because as far as I know, they still haven't produced a single bad game. In fact, they have produced quite a few very, very good games. Level 99 is one of those companies, small ones, that not enough people know enough about. And Brad Talton, welcome to, hey, to the thanks. podcast. Thanks for having me. It's I'm, it's uh, a pleasure. It's a pleasure having you around. Um, yeah, I've been I've been on with you. Uh, I think once before. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and hopefully, I've changed a little bit. I feel a bit older and, and wiser around this <laughs> board gaming <laughs> publishing thing that I've been doing for 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 four years now. So. So things are things are, are moving up. Yes, they are. I mean, when I the last time I, I spoke to you, which I believe is when I was living in Chicago at the time, you had Battlecon coming out. Mm-hmm. The the original or the original, uh, yeah, the original, yeah, yeah, quite, quite a while. And even the and actually, you also had Mystic Imperium, uh, mm-hmm. the, the role playing game. Talking to you about Imperium and. And both those games have, have come out and have been out for about uh, two years now. Yes, they have. And, and thank goodness doing very well. I mean, I, I absolutely adore Mystic Imperium. I thought it was an absolutely wonderful uh, role-playing game. Uh, yeah, we're hoping to put out another one next year. I've got an author who has some great ideas for it. So Excellent. Um, and Battlecon has been ranked as one of the highest and best fighting games out there. Thanks. Yeah, we we uh, we were just named um, Dice Tower's uh, number number eight game of all time by Tom Vassell, and um, with Devastation, and uh, we've we've been the uh, the top. Well, we've been we were the top rated Kickstarted game of all time, but uh, but Sentinels of the Multiverse got uh, has more more rankings than us right now on BGG, so they're still ahead. So I think our absolute rating is a little bit higher, but they're. You know they weight you down based on how many people have actually uh, rated. So we're we're still behind them on votes. Okay. So that makes sense. Yeah. But no. it's it's doing it's doing good and uh and it's a lot of fun and a lot of people love it, which is is you know why I'm here. So so it's all. Um, for for the people who might be listening to this podcast and, and may not have heard about you or have heard enough about you, you you've been doing this for four years. What what made you get into uh, coming uh, publishing games at a professional level? 
Well, really uh, realizing that, that you could publish games on a professional level. I mean, I, I, it, always, it always seemed like it was sort of something out of reach to publish, to make board games for a living. And I, hmm, I worked with, uh, with Ape Games, uh, Kevin Brusky, uh, and he published my first game, Kill the Overlord. Mm-hmm. And by kind of working alongside him on that, I learned you know, a lot about how, the, uh, how publishing works, how you contact people, how you get quotes, how you produce the graphic designs, et cetera, et cetera. And um, through that, I got, uh, you know, I said, well, you know, the Kickstarter revolution came and I saw Imminent Domain make a bunch of money. And I was like, well, if they can do it, I can do it. Hmm. So, and you did. Give it a try. And, and you did. I mean, you, you had successful after successful Kickstarter ever yeah. since. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the the thing about you, and this is, uh, I, I know that people sometimes accuse me of, of being too light and too nice to my um, to my guests, uh, but the, the, this is a fact. You know how to produce good looking, good quality stuff because every single game that you've put out, uh, Battlecon, Devastation of the Indines, Mystic Imperium, um, the mini the mini games box set. The, the production values of everything that you've uh, released has been as close to spotless as you could expect to get it from a company your size, which, well, which is quite amazing. Yeah, I do the I do the graphic design myself, and I've uh, you know I feel I look even now I look back on on Battlecon and I think no I could have done that much better. So each each game we try to improve you know in a new way, and I think that. Uh, that Argent's probably going to be the, the prettiest game that we've produced yet. But I, I'd actually been doing graphic design for, for many years before I started doing board games because I was into um, anime artwork, and I would go to conventions and I would sell my um, drawings and art books and, um, and you know, stories and stuff. So I had all that, that desktop publishing background for, um, for really about six years before I started board gaming. So I had a lot of practice going into it already. And that, I mean, that obviously shows. It, it has to be said that that shows quite massively. Um, why why did you decide to publish both RPGs and, and board games? Well, um, you know, there's not any... Uh, there's just, there's, I guess there's, there's kind of a strategic level and kind of a personal level to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, strategically, I want to, to make as many kinds of games as I can. And you see that we have... You know, Pixel Tactics and Battlecon and Slugfest and Disc Duelers, and these are all very, very different sort of games. And with Argent too, we're trying to make a game that's as different from our previous games as we can to uh, to reach new gamers and bring them into you know into level ninety nine. Um, so that's our kind of our strategy with with the games that we choose to make. And with um, but personally, um, I just make the kinds of games that I like. So. You know, in the the next year, I'd love to publish a Crayon Rail game, and I'd love to publish a Hex Encounter War game. I don't know if I'll uh, if I'll get to those, but I enjoy those kind of games, and I'd love to you know to to bring them back to the mainstream in a certain you know to some degree. And hey, you're the boss. Who's going to stop you? <laughs> well, you know, it's it's all what the what people want. So we'll see if uh, if there's still a place in uh, you know in people's hearts for these kind of games. Yeah, I I have the feeling you might get there. It's that's, that's my hunch. Uh, let's talk Argent. Um, okay. Argent. Argent is a bit of a departure from the games that you have produced in, in the past. Uh, Argent feels a lot more, a lot meatier. 
it is it is certainly the um, the longest table the longest board game we've made. Of course, Mystic Empyrean is much longer than any other game. Well, yeah. RPG. And and uh, Power Play is about the same length as Argent in terms of playtime. Um, but uh, but Argent is is definitely the uh, probably the heaviest uh, kind of game, and it's made in that uh, that German Euro style of resource management and worker placement, and um, and we tried to get in a lot of the American aesthetics like um, like variable setups, you know, different starting sides, different starting powers, and a lot of exception based effects like spells that can and um, and allies and such that give you certain one-time uses or uh, or an engine that you can build to uh to, to gain a foothold and win the game so it's um it's got a lot it's got kind of the, the merging of those two makes it look like it has a lot going on but it's actually not a a really long game it's about 20 to 30 minutes per player well that's not that's so it's, yeah so it's it's definitely a um a game you don't have to plan your whole day around but a game that you would you settle in for um, tell me about the genesis of Argent. What, what was the beginning of the game? Well, um, so Argent is actually one of the the second game that we're publishing that is not my creation. It's uh, it's the creation of another designer, Trey Chambers, and he is. Um, I met him at Board Game Geek Con 2012, mm-hmm. and uh, I had I had I had said um, I, that admins of BGG had asked me if I'd go through the proto room and. Uh, you know, meet some designers and, you know, give encouragement, you know, because I was kind of a, a designer publisher myself and, uh, you know, see, see if uh, there was anything that I could do to, you know, encourage folks. And, and I went in not really looking for games, but I, I sat down and I played um, Argent with Trey and he'd been working on it about two years at that point. And, um, and it, was, it was really close to a, to a finish stage. And, um, and I played it and I thought, this is a perfect fit for the, the world of BattleCon for this... Uh, this place that we've we've mentioned several times in the lore, but that we haven't actually fleshed out yet, Argent University, and we could um, you know we could bring it to life with this game, and uh, Trey liked the idea, and so we uh, you know we partnered up, and we've been revising it and reworking it and building on it for about a year since. Mm-hmm. Did the game come finished? Or do you have to really work an awful lot on the the the, the theme and the art direction? Well, you know, with um, when you're a when you're a big publisher like say Queen or Z-Man or Rio Grande, mm-hmm. um, my understanding is that you you typically just buy games and you print them, and uh, and they they better be completely done when you get it. Um, with us, since we're uh, you know a much smaller publishing house and also sort of a designer publisher, um, I like to really get involved in the in the development of the game, and so. I've I've asked Trey, you know, try this, try this, try this, try this, and we've gone through about nine, you know, nine different revisions since I picked it up, um, just trying out different things and seeing what works and making sure that we have kind of the absolute best game that we can get out of the the core mechanics, mm-hmm. and so I think that um, you know that refinement um, that we do is something that not all publishers do, but something that makes you know that uh, something that sets our games a notch above. We work really closely with the designers of our games, and uh, and a game I I have never gotten a game and said okay this is done let's print it. I always want to explore, you know, all the the design space that's available in the game and see what more we can do. Okay, um, what what kind of process did you follow uh, in order to make sure that you were getting you were getting the most 
out of the game because it, I can imagine. I mean, from the point of view of of the designer, you you have your baby, you have your thing, and and having somebody suddenly telling you, "Hey, why don't we do something really different?" Uh, you you run the risk of going for something that the game maybe it's not as suitable. How did you go about choosing what to do with the game and what iteration of those changes worked well, the best? Well, I mean, of, of course, pseudo. We if we we come up with a vision, we talk about mm -hmm. it. Um, I see what they, what what he thinks. You know, we we chat, we create the the new prototype, and then we both play it independently, and then we come back and we talk about it again and decide what we did like or didn't like or or so forth. And and when you you know when you buy a game, you're not just buying a game. You're also you know um, you're also hiring the designer. You know because mm. uh, you know you um, the designer is is a big part of of the publication and yep. you you're going to have to work with this person so you know you have to uh, you have to pick somebody who you know who's going to be eloquent online when they talk about the game who's going to be accepting to you know the changes that you may want to make or the um, you know the design decisions that you want to make um, and you want to accept somebody that you you know that's just cool to work with and um, so, so we also you also audition the designer when you audition a game, and I know I don't know if a lot of designers um, understand this. <laughs> so I get I get a lot of submissions that are that are just hey here's my game and uh, and no you know no introduction or personality or anything to it. And don't change it, just publish it. Yeah, right. right. That's gonna happen. Yeah, but but we <laughs> I mean you know you take care and you you pick designers that will work with. A person like you, and every publisher is different. You know, I, this is my way of doing things, and if you work with somebody else, it'd probably be different. So I think there's a, a publisher for every designer out there. Okay, that's fair enough. Now, how, how did you get to the point of saying, "Oh, that that actually is is getting where I want it to be"? There are well, there are two there are two things that I look for in a game to say that it's ready for for production. Mm -hmm. uh, the first one is. Um, is if people, if, if your playtesters say, when can we play this again? Okay. You know, when when people finish a game and immediately are thinking about playing it again, that's when you know that you've got a you know a potential hit on your hands, um, and that's when you you want to start thinking real serious about publishing. The um, the second one and the real red flag is when um, when your um, when your playtesters say. Hey, can I buy your prototype and take it home for my family <laughs> <laughs> over over the holidays? And then you say, okay, maybe it's time to to start selling this thing. That's a, that's a wicked one. I have not heard that one before. <laughs> it's really, really good indeed. So those those are the two those are the two signals I look for when I decide you know it's time to to bring this game to market. Okay. And um, yeah, and and you know with Argent when I've played the original one, the uh, the first one was already there. We were all you know, really interested in playing it again, but um, but we were still interested in playing it so that we could fix it. We were interested in it as designers and not as players. Um, but in the final version, you know, it's very much it's very interesting. Um, you know, for for every for the general audiences that play it at BGG, um, you know, people would play it and then they would they would come back they would come back and say, hey, can we play this again? <laughs> you know, or or that sort of thing. Or they'd ask, you know, to look look through the spells so they could see all the potentials that they could have picked up. You know, the that kind of interest and engagement is uh, is a big is a big factor. That's very cool. That is, must be very satisfying. No, it it is. It is. It's rewarding to to see people like a game, even when I'm not the designer, to see people 
you know, be interested in a game that uh, that I've been so close to. Mm. Uh, tell me about the mechanics and mechanisms of the game. How does it play? Okay, well, it, so it starts with regular worker placement, um, but all your workers are wizards with their own special powers. And there's six, uh, there's, well, there's five schools of magic, and there's one neutral school in the university, and you recruit mages from the different departments. And each one has a power based on what department it comes from. Now you um, you send your your people out to the university to run errands for you to try and gain influence or more magic or research or to influence supporters to join you um, or to gather more gold or to hunt for magic items, all these uh, sorts of things sorts of things you can do. And at the end of the day, after everybody's been assigned, then they all come home and bring back whatever spoils they've acquired for you or whatever alliances they've made for you. And those things go to you and can be used in the next round to um, to gain better positions and such. And so it goes on like that for, for five rounds. And you, um, as a player, also are part of the game. So you don't just have all these workers. You also have your office full of spells and magical artifacts and um, you know strings you can pull on, on allies to change the state of the game. So you might send out your worker to gather a certain thing, or you might you know, cast a fireball spell to blow up another room in the university so that you can clear out other players' workers and send some more of your own later. That sort of thing. Oh, and the last big thing, which is one mm -hmm. of my favorite elements of this game, is the scoring. And the scoring is not VP-based, um, unlike a lot of, uh, of resource management and uh, German-style games. The, re the victory condition is achievement-based. So there's a secret election board of 10 different voters are more or less depending on how many players you are, but usually around 10. And each one has a different condition. Like this guy votes for whoever has the most gold, this guy votes for whoever has the most mana, et cetera, et cetera. And there are 18 of them, but only 10 or so are in the game. And so you don't know what the victory conditions are. And one of the things you can do is send your, uh, your students out to spy on the election board and figure out what the victory criteria are. Um, and of course this takes time, so you can also just look at other people and see what they've figured out and speculate based on what they're doing, what you think the victory conditions are, and try and beat them. So there's always this big reveal at the end, and it's a lot of fun to, to flip over each, each individual member and say, aha, or no, or, you know, um, you know, to win those, those secret conditions. That is fantastic. I, I remember, um, in one of our demo games, we, uh, well, I was playing with Trey, and um, and we he started building up a certain stat, and um, and I said, oh, that must be a victory condition. That must be one of the voters. I'll build up that stat too. And we started racing, and I started racing him to build up the stat. And the third guy saw us, saw me and him raising the stat, and he started raising it. And then Trey saw the two of us going at it, and he started trying to boost it up. And we got to the end of the game, we flipped up all the cards, and that guy wasn't even a win condition. We had all just fooled each other in the in this game of speculation. Um, so the uh, there's there's definitely um, a lot of of strategy and how much investment you want to make in knowledge, because it takes a lot of time, right? Um, but of course, then being wrong can be very uh, very costly too. That is absolutely. Brilliant. That really, um, I, I was very interested in the game, but that has really sold it to me because that idea of being able to play, believing, you know, you have the right strategy and maybe just be beaten to a pulp by somebody who's done a lot better in the right strategy 
and that strategy being pretty near secret is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, well, you know, you know, Trey always likes to to go and look at everybody before he even starts building his engine, and and it always turns out terrible for him because at the end <laughs> of the game, like like he knows all the conditions, but but everybody else's engine is so well developed that uh, that he can't win any of the any of the fights that he gets into <laughs> over the boat. He just knows what they are. So. I can imagine his frustration at times must be hilarious to watch. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 you know, it depends on the game because there is actually one voter who votes for whoever's looked at the most voters. So there's there's a voter for most most secret knowledge, um, and uh, so I think he always gambles that that guy's going to be in the game. But you know, it's it's usually fifty fifty. That is absolutely terrific. Uh, the game has already funded. Um, I mean, you, you wanted, and, and this is something else that I wanted to ask you. You only wanted $30,000, which I know is still a lot of money, but in, in this day and age, it's, it's not really a lot it's, of money to get made. It's, kind make of the game. Base, it's the baseline for a, yeah. for a, you know, a German Euro game with wood bits and, and a nice board. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I mean, not a nice board. This the board's modular, so there's a bunch of tiles that you set up in different arrangements each. Mm. So, so the university, the worker placement engine, will change every game, which is one of our our cool things. But you should ask me about replayability later because we get a lot of replayability. Well, no, I, yeah, I was going to I was going to ask about that because the um, the, the the board, I mean, the the box is full of stuff. I mean, yes. I can I I've seen the video and there is piece after piece after piece after piece after piece. It's lots of card in there. Um, how, how how replayable is is this game in in reality? You know, not just the, the sales pitch, but how replayable is it? It's it's I mean it's it's like Dominion level replayable. Like the number of starting setups that you could have in this game is pretty astronomical. Um, now, um, like for example, um, the university tiles. Um, there are there are going to be uh, fourteen of them in the box. Fifteen if we hit our next uh, our next stretch goal. But fourteen of them in the box and. You build your university out of about uh, nine or ten or eleven of these, depending on how many people are in the game. And so, um, so there are rooms that aren't even going to be available in each game. And each room also has um, two sides. So if you 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 shuffle the tiles and if you flip some over, you'll get alternate room effects. So the same uh, the same engine will never work twice. Like you know, you sit down to a game of Puerto Rico, you know roughly what to do to win, um, but that'll never work. In Argent, because you have because uh, the room layout is never the same twice. Mm. Um, how how does it scale for different player counts? It scales it scales pretty well. I mean, it's it's uh, it's twenty to thirty minutes a player, and it uh, that doesn't really change if you go up to uh, to three or four or five. Um, the uh, the the way that the um, the rounds work, and this is one mm. of my my really favorite parts about it, is that um, there's very little dead time. Uh, because each uh, it, on your turn, you can either play a worker, or you can play a spell, or you can take uh, a bell tower offering from the university. And um, at the bottom, for each player in the game, there's one bell tower card. So if there's four players and there's four of these cards, you know, five players, five of them, and so forth. Um, and so a bell tower is like a pass, but it comes with some kind of reward, like first player next round, or you know, extra gold, or makes your spells cheaper. And you can take these at any time, so you don't have to use all your workers to take a bell tower card. Now the round ends as soon as the last bell tower gets taken. So even if I have like five workers, um, if and and you have you know like say you have like eight workers and I have uh, four, 
um, I can play out all my workers and start taking bell tower cards. And you have to rush to get all your errands done in time before time runs out. Um, so there's a there's definitely a pressure aspect as the other players set the pace of the game. So no matter um, so it doesn't matter who has the most workers or the most things to do. The uh, the quickest player sets the pace, and it uh, it makes things very tense because you never know when you get down to that one card, um, anybody can end the round at any time just by taking it, and it's uh, you know it's very much a, a nail biter whether you know am I going to get a chance to do that that thing that I've been waiting on doing. You know, do I want to take the early position or the hmm. strong position early um, and risk getting knocked out, or do I want to wait and risk you know missing out on the time to uh, to take it in the end? So there's uh, there's very much a, um, a a room to play your personal strategy as well in that. I think I got a little off tan off target there, but I convey the uh, the basics of how the, uh, the the time speed of the game runs. Well, and that leads me to uh, to another question. In terms of speed, um, how does it play very experienced players with not so very experienced players? Because I, I, what one thing that really puts me off games is when I try to play a game with people who've played the game before several times, and I realize right away that I have no chance mm-hmm. of of winning the game. Uh, how how does that balance? Well, there are. Um... I mean, I will say that um, that experience can can be useful, and in, in any in any game, I think in any game that we've produced, that experience is a you know is some sort of factor. Um, but since Argent is a longer game, um, you want to mitigate that you know to some degree, so the new player can jump in really quickly. Um, the uh, the thing, the main thing about the game is that there's really no useless actions. Okay. Um, there are there are just actions that that may not be helpful in the long run. Like if you collect gold, then gold is always useful for something. You can always buy magic items, but gold may or may not be a victory condition. Right. So if you take that gold action, you're going to get something out of it. You may not get the victory condition, um, but you're going to be able to use it for something. It's not just going to be wasted. So every action does have a you know a positive benefit, and um, the uh, the tactics of it, the you know pushing guys off, um, moving moving guys around, taking the top positions in rooms, that's all very straightforward. So there's not a high learning curve to the the worker placement aspect of the game. Um, it's mainly the um, you know learn figuring out what your opponents can do with their spells and things mm-hmm. can be a slightly higher learning curve, but uh, but spells tend to come into play more slowly, so right. you can read each individual one as it comes up. Um, in in the website, in the Kickstarter website, you describe the the game as being a mix of uh, Eurogamer and, and a Merry Trash kind of mix. What percentage of each is in the game? Hmm. I um. Hmm. You know, it's it's not it's it's hard to say a percentage. Um, I feel like um. It's it's more of like a hybridization, like right. each element is a little bit of both. Um, each element has um, you know a Euro influence and an American style influence to it. Um, so it's it's a little difficult to say. Some are more than others. Like influence is very like the influence track, um, where it's, which is like your your popularity and the amount of um, of special actions you can take each turn uh, mm-hmm. are sort of uh, are very. You know, very Euro style, whereas spells are very, you know, exception-based American style gameplay. But um, 
And I guess I should I should clarify for all our you know our listeners at home because this was asked to me several times. What's the what's the difference even, you know, between a, a German game and an American game? Um, and the difference mainly is that uh, you know the German style games are very uh, very tightly built around a central core engine uh, mechanic. Like you place workers, then you collect resources, then you use resources, then you repeat, and it's a you know it's a very um, a very tightly locked. Hmm. Loop, whereas the American style games are uh, exception driven. Um, you start with this loop and then you break out of it into as many different branches as you can um, in order to uh, to kind of uh, what's the word um, to alter the the way the game plays. And it's kind of the difference between uh, between Blue Moon and Magic: The Gathering for those who've played both of those. Now, since this game mixes both uh, genres, so to speak, mm -hmm. or, or types of games, have you found that different groups of players uh, get out the most of each um, genre? For example, have you found that if, if a good, uh, a very Ameritrash uh, orientated group of players will play the game in an Ameritrash way, whereas a group of Euro gamers will play the game in a more Euro way, yes. uh, using those mechanics and mechanisms. Yes, players do tend to focus on the the styles they like, and you see that the uh, the American style gamers, the people who play, you know, Arkham Horror and, and Magic: The Gathering and such, they like to get a lot of spells, and then they mm -hmm. have you know, and build up mana, and then they have a lot of special effects. They can you know, a lot of gotchas. And a lot of you know aha type effects that they can they can break out when they need them. So you get kind of a, a toolbox. Whereas you see with the uh, the European style gamers, you'll get um, will typically focus on um, on items and gold and mana, like building up this resource engine and getting uh, workers, you know, and getting faster workers so they can take more actions a turn. And more actions is more resources, and then more resources get will buy you more stuff can give you more actions and more protection and building that sort of an engine on the university board so you can you can kind of branch in both of those ways you know in whatever balance you prefer and it does sort of show in the players you know where they tend where they choose to um, to apply their specialization so there, there are lots of diverging paths and and your play your personality your personal play style um, decides which of those paths you will take, but all paths, you know, lead to the same end in a certain in a way because the voters are, you know, the the way that the the voters vote on conditions and not on pure VPs sort of makes it all possible. That that sounds pretty cool because we we have uh, in my group we have a very mixed group of people, uh, and I am the the Ameritrasher per excellence, <laughs> and I have a friend of mine who is uh, I mean, my friend Michael uh, who co-host the the review podcast and uh, he is mental on stats you know he he dreams of spreadsheets sort of thing uh, so i i can see me being able to play this game in one way and him being able to do a completely different type of game and still both of us being able to enjoy the game quite easily yes yes so players from both sides of the aisle have uh, have, have said that they like it for for their style in within it so i think it balances both styles pretty well that's that's really really cool uh tell me about the kickstarter what kind of pledge levels can people uh, find in the campaign at the moment so the uh the campaign uh we're we're set it we set it at 50 dollars for the basic pledge tier um mm -hmm. and that's uh you know 50 dollars gets you the game in the united states um for for and it's 80 international so about 30 shipping 
not great, but it's it's what we can do without mm. uh, you know without going underwater on shipping. Um, and, you know, we actually we had trouble with the BattleCon one uh, Kickstarter with uh, the shipping rates raised in January, right after the Kickstarter ended. Oh uh, no! <laughs> and I mean, thankfully, you know, Devastation was so successful that we were able to set that much aside. But it's still you know a cautionary tale that uh, you know shipping is something you really have to think about. Because when we we planned that box, it was two pounds, or not two pounds. When we planned that box, it was um, it was two kilos, and when we got it back from the printer after all the stretch goals and everything, you know, and the the Kickstarter campaign, it was five kilograms. Heavens! <laughs> and, and so shipping to Europe is like fifty bucks now, and the pledge level was seventy. So, um, so yeah, so that so so not making much on international backers. No, it's, it's. I think it's the the curse of Kickstarter at the moment, which is the, to cross the Atlantic. It, it yeah. is extremely costly. Yeah. Well, we're we're working on on fulfillment services over there, and that's what we've worked out for Devastation too. Is that we're going to ship a pallet over to the UK, and it's going to be distributed from there. Good. So people won't have to pay the you know the extra customs fees, and because customs is is about as expensive as the game itself these days. Well, yeah. I mean, whenever I get a, a game from from the US, if if the customs people find it, uh, they usually charge twenty percent of the cost mm-hmm. plus another sixteen dollars for handling ship uh, yeah. fees. So it it it, it yeah it, it effectively almost doubles. What right. it and, is. and and you know I could you know when when we when we import a a pallet, we pay tax on the production, and when you import a game, you pay tax on the retail. Yeah, it's much cheaper for us to do the importing. Um, than for than for you guys, but anyway, I got off track. Um, pledge levels for Argent is what we were talking yeah. about, yeah. right? Yeah. So so fifty dollars is the base for for Argent, and that's the game. And I think it's probably going to be sixty when it comes out, or or even sixty five if we get miniatures in the game, which I I'm pretty hopeful about this time. That'll be cool. Um, the uh, and then you can get uh, Devastation with it if you want, and that's like one hundred twenty five. So just the base cost of Devastation plus. Um, plus that, and hopefully, um, hopefully, pretty soon we're going to hit the our 50 k stretch goal. And when we get there, we have an expansion um, called uh, called Mansers of the University, and it's a it adds the School of Technomancy, so you get um, the science mages um, in Argent too, and that adds a sixth player, um, and it adds materials for a six player game rather than just a two to five player game. You can play all the way up to six with the expansion. And that's probably going to be twenty five when we get there. If we get there, I, f- I feel pretty good about about getting. What, what do you mean if? I mean, we are recording this interview, <laughs> listeners. There's still twenty seven days to go, and it's it's over forty thousand dollars already. This game is on its way to make seventy or eighty grand easily. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> I hope we have another success as big as Devastation with this one. Yeah, so, that'll be so really that's, cool. That's what I. That's what I look look forward to. So you have the expansion for as as one of the stretch goals. What, what else have you planned if, if you begin to hit silly money? Well, like I said, we've got uh, we've got miniatures, um, and um, and our our artist has already sketched out the miniatures, and um, we uh, so we want to do those in the game, uh, which would be this would be our first game with miniatures if we do, and that would be really really cool. Um, we want to have, you know, we have like cardboard tokens right now. It'd be nice to have, um, to have like real gold coin, not real gold coins, but you know what I mean, you know, gold coins and, um, and gems for magic and, 
those sorts of things. So a lot of component upgrades in the in the cards, um, and um, also I have a uh, well, yeah, I, I probably shouldn't I probably shouldn't say too much at this point. It's uh, I, you know, I don't want to I don't want to commit overcommit. That's my <laughs> that's my curse is that I overcommit and I overdeliver on everything. And if I say something now, I'll I'll have to I'll have to hold to it. Uh, in in that in that case, I, say no more. I will I will say I will say this. Um, we we do uh, pixel tactics, yep. Um, and pixel tactics is in the same world as you know Indians, Devastation, Battlecon, um, and Argent as well. Same world, um, and so we typically translate everything to pixel tactics. And we have we have designed up through pixel tactics four, and four is all the characters from Argent planned as um, as pixel tactics heroes. So so that is a uh, thing that exists. Sweet. In our in our you know drawer of of future secret stuff, I guess not that secret anymore really, now that I've no, said it. But but that that's really straight because pixel tactics is cute as anything. <laughs> Thanks. It's it's been catching on, and we've uh, hopefully it'll get the stores. And that's uh, our 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 boat just uh, was supposed to hit port today. So I'll find out tonight whether customs has been you know has decided to check all our crates. But um, if not, then we'll have Pixel Tactics um, in our warehouse. Uh, well, we'll have the, the full shipment of it in our warehouse by the end of the week and hopefully into um, distributors' hands within the next week. That'd be really cool because we, we, we have Pixel Tactics scheduled for, for podcast review in the next few weeks, and I am absolutely gagging. Have you, have uh, you played two yet? The new one? Uh, no, no, my friends haven't played it either, and uh, I mean, I, I'm I'm looking forward to to Michael and Max playing yeah, because it, they are they, they they hate each other when they play. They're best of friends, <laughs> but they love to kill each other, and I just cannot wait to sit at the table and watch them both just obliterate each other. It's going to be absolutely epic. Oh yeah, well yeah, the new one has some some really really wild effects. Should be a a lot of fun to uh, to see how they play out. So. That is terrific. I'll look terrific. forward to, uh, to watching it. To, to watch That's it terrific. Post it. Um, what is the delivery time for for Argent? The realistic delivery time for for this game? So, so I've said June um, on the Kickstarter, and right. I feel like um, like if everything went wrong, then we could do it by June. So I'm okay. hoping earlier, but um, you know the artwork is is pretty much done. We're adding a little artwork with the Kickstarter. We're adding um, a little bit of um, what's the word? Um, we're adding a, a few components, but components typically don't take more time. Only um, only artwork and game design takes more time. And so most of the things that we're adding to the game are, are component upgrades in our stretch goals. Um, and most of the the stretch goals, like the expansion, have already been designed and are just sitting waiting to be printed. So, like with Battlecon, we added 12 new characters to the game. Um, and about eight of those characters we had to go back and design and, uh, and balance and then bring to print. And that slowed us down by quite a few months, but that's not going to be a problem with, uh, with this game. What happens after this Kickstarter? Was, was uh, up in uh, Levels 99's sleeve? My next big project, I guess my, my own game design, uh, not one that we're, we're publishing from somebody else, but my own big design that I'm doing next is uh, is a game called Millennium Blades. And um, it's I've been blogging a little bit about it, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if, uh, if maybe you've seen those or not, but if you if you go on my my site, you can uh, you can read some of the blogs on on the development process of it. It is a CCG simulator, so hmm. it's a game where you play as a group of friends that play the popular collectible trading card game Millennium Blades. Okay, so, so you play friends who are playing a game within a game. Yes, so like you'll collect cards, you'll build decks, you'll go to tournaments, and the game takes you from from starter deck out back out to uh, to world tournament in about uh, three hours. Uh, so it's one of the heaviest games, or one of the heavier games I've ever designed. But it's uh, it's very uh, you know it's a lot it's a lot of tongue in cheek humor. It's a lot of poking fun at CCGs. Um, it's got a nice a nice balance of combat and action. Everyone is active all the time. Um, it's just a it's it's a it's a very cool game. It's a CCG simulator. So it plays it gives you the experience of playing a game like Magic, you know, in a competitive environment. Um, and uh, you know, for from from you know starting out with your first your first booster pack and going to to that big regional tournament um, in just one game session. Uh, is it going to be a physical game though, or is it going to be an app? It uh, and we are planning a physical game, and okay. uh, it will have roughly the uh, we're planning on roughly the number of cards in Dominion um, in the box. So it's going to be cool. a, a large a large game. Yeah, that's, that sounds like an awful of cards. Uh, are you planning on doing any more apps? Because you, you used to do quite a few of them. I mean, Battle Colonies. Um, and... I am. I and so what happened is I got so into the the board gaming side of things, and um, and that drove so much of our you know our company that uh, that I stopped writing apps. And um, I've recently hired a programmer now to fill the void to to do apps for us. So we do have a staff programmer now, and he is. Just finishing up, uh, he he designed the BattleCon online site, okay. which is at, at battleconnection.com, and you mm. can, that's kind of the community. And we are going to have a BattleCon player, like you can play online against other folks um, across the world. We're going to have that, hopefully the uh, the alpha in December, um, like the, around the end of this year, but uh, but certainly by the end of January, we'll have uh, live BattleCon online play. And he's also finishing up a, a new implementation of Noir right now. That is very exciting. Yeah, so we're going to be moving back into the app scene pretty soon. Good. And also, and moving into you know PC, Steam, Android, other platforms as well, which is really nice. Something I could never do because I could never take enough time off to learn a new platform. But now that we have somebody doing that full time, um, he can take that time and invest in those you know those alternate techs. Uh, Brad, it, it sounds like everything is really going your way at the moment. Well, things are things are good. I mean, you know, there there's there's uphills and downhills. We uh, you know we had a lot of delays on devastation, and and that set us back um, quite a bit. I mean, just in terms of time, you know, we haven't released a, a game since uh, since February when we released the mini game library, um, and now everything's finally here in December. So. Um, so we're hoping it's going to be a good a good holiday season for us because it's the only season we get this year. Um, well, f- fingers <laughs> crossed for you. Fingers. I really, really hope it will be because I, I I genuinely believe you you you've made some absolutely fantastic games. Uh, you're a nice guy to boot and and keep producing cool stuff after cool stuff. So um, I I really think more people should know of you. Well, thanks. I um you know I I hope so. I hope that uh, you know my my uh, my goal is to. You know, is to be 
it's to get to, to you know fantasy flight level that's kind of where i want to be well that's that's a that's a new that's a 2014 kind of goal for you yeah well maybe more like <laughs> 20 2017 goal for me but uh but that's where that's where i'm looking that's what i say say i want to be there so good for you i really hope you get it well thanks and it's 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 great to to come on and talk with you guys i uh you know i really enjoy uh you know having to getting getting to chat about about industry stuff it's fun it's uh it's work but it's fun believe me you're always welcome and i genuinely mean that always welcome thank you thank you for listening Hosting and production for this podcast have been by Paco Garcia and the music's been composed by Kev Atzet. We would love to hear from you. Feedback and your questions are always welcome and you can email us at podcast at gmsmagazine.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at gmsmagazine. And we are also on Facebook and Google+. I'm very, very happy to talk to you. Remember to subscribe to the GMS Magazine podcast channels in iTunes and give us a review or two and a rating, please, and it's truly appreciated if you do. For more quality shows, remember to listen to other rooms like the RPG Room, the Interview Room and the Board Game Room and more rooms that might be coming very soon indeed. But, friends, until the next time, let the games continue.